Hello and welcome to another thrilling, exciting, amazing episode of the Partial Historians. <laughs> I am one of your incredible hosts, Dr. Greenfield. And I am Dr. Radness. And I'm sorry I made her laugh about some technical <laughs> difficulties while she was doing that intro. <laughs> I think we covered really well. Nobody's going to know <laughs> Nothing strange happened. On with the show. <laughs> We've got a very exciting episode today. I'm glad you think so, because I... <laughs> I've been getting the distinct impression that you look down your aristocratic nose at my subject matter. <laughs> oh, we're going to be delving a little bit further into our sources mm. um, that we've been looking at while we explore the history of Rome from the founding of the city. Yes, yes. And in this episode, we'll be considering Livy in particular. Yes, and he has been my guy. He has uh, been your guy. Time. He has been my, my guy. Um, now, Livy. It may interest you to know, and you may not be surprised if you are a keen listener, that Livy is pretty much contemporaneous with Dionysius of Halicarnassus. Can't be entirely sure about the dates, of course. But, Shock! Yeah, I know. Horror! Yeah. yeah. This is unspeakable. How did we get to this point? I know! The uncertainty is killing me. Mm. Uh, but yes, according to a later Christian author, one Jerome... Jeremy, as I like to call him. <laughs> oh, Jerome. He provides us with some dates for Livy. And apparently he was born around 60, 59 BCE and seems to have died around 17 CE or AD for those of you who are still on the old. I wonder if they had the same birthday. I know, right? Freaky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, born so, in the same year, kind of. Yeah, I mean, potentially. <laughs> we don't really know. But yeah, they're bizarrely similar time frame. <laughs> And this also, of course, makes both of them, uh, and particularly Livy... Actually, I don't think we... When did Dionysius die? Do we know? Oh, I didn't look into that. Okay, cool. Well, anyway, it makes Livy in particular pretty much a a very strict uh, contemporary of Augustus as well, (laughs) the emperor. Yes, Yes, because we think Livy died not long after Augustus did in AD 14. Mm. 14 AD. I don't know, I said it back to front. Anyway, um, so yes, it's uh, it's an interesting period, and as we have touched on in our previous episode, uh, a lot of people have looked at Livy within this Augustan framework. Oh, uh, yes, that's all right. I changed the word. The Augustan yes. literary regime. I, I believe we regime were way to too it. sinister. <laughs> no, I don't want to associate him with these things, but anyway, the keen listener will recognise the regime from our previous episode. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Anywho, so Livy, who was he? Uh, if we want to use his Latin name, which almost nobody uses, <laughs> it is Titus Livius. We believe he was a rather well-off gentleman from Padua. Mm. And those of you who've known your Italian geography would know that that is up north. Or northerner, you say. That's oh, right. Got to yes. be suspicious of northerners. Indeed, indeed. Um, now, Livy was actually, I suppose, an unlikely candidate to be a historian. And this has often been something that people have dwelt on to his uh, disparagement, I believe. <laughs> um, How dare you. Uh, I know, yeah. Generally in Rome, uh, if you want to write history, you're probably going to be, you know, from the someone with senatorial background or a military background or maybe both. Oh, okay, so have some, have some experience in public life, and this somehow qualifies you, apparently, to write good history. Oh, yeah. I question this. I've certainly I... found my fame has been very useful as a historian. <laughs> That's right. My political background, which happened when I was 10. 
served me very well when I was writing my thesis. Yeah. yeah. What yes. can I say? Yeah, so uh, somewhat unusually, Livy does not have this background. What? I know. This is outrageous. Outrageous, yeah. Don't read his work. Slander. <laughs> yeah. How can he possibly know what he's talking about? He wasn't even there. Exactly, exactly. Um, and so, yes, he, he is perhaps somewhat of an unusual character. And this was kind of recognised within his own time. Not that everyone was, like, slagging him off or anything, by no means. But some people did make fun of him for having an accent from the provinces, I believe. Oh, yes. harsh. Going to parties is bad. Yeah, and certainly uh, certainly he has been criticised for the fact that he did not seem to believe in uh, primary source research to any large extent. And by that I mean he didn't travel around Italy desperately searching for material <laughs> to base his... You've just given me a gift. Ah, oh, <laughs> damn it! <laughs> so. All right, fine. Slam him. Go uh, ahead. <laughs> not interested in primary source material, you say. <laughs> Wants to be a historian, you say. <laughs> All very interesting. Um, so, one of the things uh, that I think you should know, okay. um, just to leave the specter of the glory that is Dionysius of Halicarnassus ever <laughs> shadowing this episode. Talk about rhetoric. <laughs> is... <laughs> Uh, that the historian Gabba uh, claims mm-hmm. Dionysius, not Livy, is in reality the authentic historian of the Augustan age. What tosh. <laughs> Pish posh. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not going to deny that perhaps they both have something to bring to the table, all right? Uh, just, oh, please. I'm Tell gonna... me more about what Livy's yeah. bringing to yeah. this table. I will. I will. <laughs> You'll be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I was going to tell you a little bit more about his background. Oh, please okay. do. Okay, about yeah. the fact that he seems to have been a family man. But whatevs. We'll move on to the... Is that why he wasn't looking at his <laughs> primary source material? <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> got dinner with the wife and kids. Can't go out and look at that well, piece of rock. You know what? People like Quintilian thought that Livy rocked. Okay? <laughs> they said that he was right up there. Oh, yeah. Right up there with Herodotus, I believe. Okay? So... <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh. Yeah. Um, I really don't need to say anything anymore. Yeah. And I'll tell you why they say these things. It's because when it comes to rhetoric, who can beat Livy? No one, I say. <laughs> yeah, no, look, Livy presumably seems to have had um, a reasonably traditional Roman elite kind of education mm-hmm. um, in that certainly uh, we, can, we can see that he must have had some sort of rhetorical training. Yeah. Um, particularly in things like his speeches, okay, which as we talked about last episode, speeches are kind of like, you know, stock in trade for historians running at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, they're a big set piece. Yeah, exactly. They're your chance to dazzle with your rhetorical genius. <laughs> and uh, Livy certainly can step up to the plate and shows that he must have had some sort of training in that arena. Uh, where he falls down educationally, and I'm not going to deny this, is his knowledge of Greek. Ah. Uh, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I have sympathy for him. Who wants to decipher those? Well, those ciphers. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> yeah, no, look, no, no comment. Yeah, look, certainly he seems to have struggled sometimes with his uh, Greek translations. Like Although... he, he decides to write Roman history, yeah, then. Exactly. That's all I can say yeah. for him. It, and thank you. You've again given me a gift now. So that <laughs> takes me right back. The thing is, though, Livy was, as you say, um, well, as you said in a previous episode, much more concerned, I think, with the indigenous Roman history and perpetuating that line of things. Mm. That, that was his, I think, vested interest. Um, so the way he tends to set things out, we, um, 
where it's very hard with Livy actually to judge him, I think. And this is something that's come out of sort of recent, more recent historiography, I believe, because Livy was actually quite popular um, and hence his survival, perhaps. Mm. But uh, he was quite a popular work. Um, unfortunately, he wrote a huge history. <laughs> <laughs> and I say unfortunately because this means that eventually someone came along and went, you know what? A summary of this would be helpful. <laughs> and the summary probably became more widely <laughs> used, owned, whatever, than Livy himself. Therefore, of his vast history, we only have, you know, a very small amount in full. Yeah. The rest we have in summary, more or less. Yeah, the periochi, yeah. the, yeah. uh, the summarised form yes. of, of Livy's narrative. Yeah. We've got lots of books. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just about all of them, yeah, yeah. Um, in the summaries, and not a lot left over. No, from the full. Yeah, I mean, at the moment where you are and I are up to in our version of things, I'm still using his actual we work. Got it's, plenty, exactly. It's the earlier books that tend to survive, but that will end, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> apocalypse will come. <laughs> but, the source apocalypse yeah, is coming. The source apocalypse is coming. Um, but anywho, um, from what we have of those full books, though, that survive, mm. it seems that Livy is, um, he, he sort of drops names of sources that no longer survive. And these seem to go back to um, certainly some Greek works like Polybius, but also the Annalists. Okay, Roman historiography has a slightly a whole different... category. <laughs> yeah, it has a slightly different kicking off point from uh, Greek historiography. Um, the Romans started off with this Annalistic tradition, which is pretty much as it sounds. Year by year, they would set out what had happened. It's uh, what has happened, guys. Yeah. This is what has happened. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and certainly Livy seems to be maybe taking a bit of a nod from that with the way he sets out his history because it is more or less like this is what happened in this year. But it's much more than that. And he certainly doesn't call his work like an annals. You know, he calls his work. <laughs> what, what, sorry. He, I'm like, wait call, a minute. We call his work wait a minute. from the founding of the city, yeah. Um, but yeah, he certainly, as far as we can tell, didn't uh, go out to say, yeah, this is an analytic thing. It's more the framework. Um, and he tends to start off by talking about, okay, who's the consul for this year? That gives us a dating system. Then he'll talk about like international events. And by that, with Rome, if you've been listening, you know that we generally mean war. <laughs> but then he does bring things back to what's happening on a domestic front most of the time as well. Hmm. Okay, and he'll, if he can, he'll round off with a good prophecy or two. <laughs> So he's got a formula that he's operating To be very to. general, yeah. I mean, that's generally... Yeah. How that's... much do you think this might be limiting his history? Uh, look, I mean, for us, it's working quite well. Because <laughs> <laughs> it means I can follow things through <laughs> relatively easily. But I think, it, I think the main point of that, though, is that it always comes back to Rome. It always comes back to home. Dare I say it? <laughs> Some home truths. Some home truths, that's Some right. Some little prophecies. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And uh, and as you mentioned, um, this is perhaps, you know, having this more localised uh, and, and this more sort of focus on the indigenous historiography might be perhaps one of the reasons why Augustus himself started taking an interest in Livy's work. But Augustus knows. takes an interest, you say? He does take an interest. You're telling me yes. that Livy becomes part of this mm. literary regime? Well, to be honest, this is a controversial point. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Uh, there are probably people who will say that, uh, I mean, there certainly have been people who have said that Livy is a pawn in Augustus's game. I feel, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I feel, 
And feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, certainly, that is the, the vibe that you will get from, uh, from certain histories. Because Livy remains sort of popular and admired for his style, the way he writes history, well into the Renaissance. But when you do start to get a more professional uh, approach to history and historiography, and I'm using flesh rabbits there, people, uh, in 19th and 20th centuries, that's when we start to get more of a critique of Livy coming out. And part of that is that some people think he just, you know, like a yes man sort of thing, and that he presents a version of history that's going to work well with the time that he's writing. Because like Dionysius, we think he starts writing at about that same period, about 30 you know, BCE. Yeah, so. well, if he starts writing about 30, yeah. um, this puts him in a good position to be at least influenced by his context, if not actively giving way yeah. um, to contextual influence. Yeah, yeah, and and there's certainly no denying that, um, that Livy uh, certainly didn't, you know, travel far and wide, gathering up primary sources and that sort of thing. But, <laughs> as we know... That's not necessarily a prerequisite for writing history in this point of time. And I think this is what some people are starting to sort of come back and sort of defend him a little bit, um, saying that Livy's intention was never to produce that kind of a work. Okay, he was, um, he was drawing on a different type of historiography, uh, a different way of writing history, which was more or less a compendium, you know, to put together what has gone before, you know, and that's what he's more or less doing. Um, and it's more about, you know, the, the style, the way you put it all together and the usefulness of that work rather than getting together, like, you're going, oh, look at this, look what I discovered, look what I uncovered. <laughs> if, you know. I like the idea of a compendium. Yeah. On the other hand... <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> as the author of said compendium, one is consistently making choices about what to include and what to exclude. And how to yes. frame things. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> certainly, You're welcome. Yeah. Certainly, when it comes to, uh, I suppose I might say, the modern defenders of Libby, um, one of the things they've pointed <laughs> <laughs> What a vision. <laughs> Come to rescue the Avengers. <laughs> you see this suit? This is a suit of armor yeah. for Libby. That's right. <laughs> Nobody stand in my way. I am the defense. Yeah. Um, certainly what people have been trying to point out is that Livy, um, some people have said that because this is what Livy was doing, that he was quite uncritical. He was just, you know, slapdash, let's put everything together. I don't have time. Yeah, yeah. I'm busy, doing busy, a compendium. Busy. I'm a busy bee. <laughs> and certainly... You knew this is going to be 150 volumes long. Yeah, exactly. And certainly he writes for like 45 years. Yeah. So, you know, and, <laughs> but certainly when you do, when you break it down and do the math, his output is actually still reasonably impressive. I mean, this is working in the days before books or computers or anything like that. Well, I don't know. I mean, he's just dictating to somebody. Right. right. (laughs) Not that hard. Yeah. All he's got to do is be a bit of a talker and he'll get through it in 45 years. Yeah. Look, some people have certainly said this, but others have come back and said he is not uncritical about his sources. Certainly, uh, we see choices being made. Um, Sometimes, and and this is actually kind of a good thing, uh, I think I've actually cited some of these examples as we've been sort of going through as well. Sometimes Livy does say, look, there are these three different versions of this. Here they all are. You make up your mind. I can't figure it out. Just go with it, Ari. <laughs> now, that might not sound like the soundest historical practice, but I think it's actually quite good for us. Well, we and, it, see... and it allows a certain type of honesty to emerge from Absolutely. his historiographical yeah. writing. Yeah. Um, and it's more, it probably was kind of a time issue. 
Uh, <laughs> let's be honest. I could solve this with these sources, but I'd have to really think about it. Yeah. You know what I'd rather do right now? Right, more know, history. Just write it all down. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, who knows? We don't really know. But, um, but yeah, certainly there is, I think, a certain transparency, transparency sometimes with Livy's work. Um, and certainly he does sometimes indicate, look, I think this is the more likely version. Um, and so that does show that he is thinking about things. You know, this isn't just, you know, and there are certainly examples of He's him. not just a vessel for the, no, for the past. No, he's certainly not. And uh, there are certainly times where you could, in a sense, uh, like you kind of said with Dionysus, there are certain moments where you could read things a certain way and say he is actually being a little bit critical of Augustus's policies. Um, but, you know, obviously that's us reading into things. Like we don't, we can't definitively say that that's what he was trying to do. But certainly I would not say that he was a yes man all the way. And it's not like Augustus was funding this or anything. Well, and yeah. also Augustus doesn't have time to watch over no, all no. of the authors. For 45 years. <laughs> <laughs> While Livy is putting this on, not together. to mention dying in the meantime, and yeah. Livy still being around to be like, "I'm watching you, yeah, from the grave, keeping a keeping an eye on." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I would like to, for a second, go back to Roman historiography. Oh, please do, because this what is what do we I even think, know about Roman historiography? Well, this is the thing. I mean, certainly by Livy's stage, there is this idea that. Um, history should be something that is useful and it is something that has a moral element to us. Now that seems... Oh, that's going to cloud yeah. the narrative, I think. Well, it is. It certainly is. But on the same time, can we criticise him for being a bad historian by our standards when he was writing good history by his standards? This is my question. I think we can. Ah! <laughs> 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 uh, but anywho. Um, no, you, no. I yeah. was being for yeah. <laughs> I know. We have to measure the man by his context. Yeah, and we have these sorts of ideas preserved in the works of Cicero, uh, <laughs> Cicero um, who was around uh, in Livy's times. Um, well, when you, for a limited period. For a limited period, amount of time. Yeah. Limited Very limited time. window. Yeah. But um, certainly these sorts of ideas are being set down that this is what history should be. This is the goal of history. Okay. Um, and so I certainly think that uh, you can see that very clearly in Livy. Um, particularly because he does provide us with a preface of his intentions. What? I don't know. Very handy. He has he, ideas he, about he, his own history? He has ideas. Oh, tell me. And tell me very, more. These are interesting ideas. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm going to throw a few quotes at you. Ooh. Okay, basically he talks about the fact that he thinks that uh, I see this, the writing of history, is an old, established, and a common practice. Each fresh writer being invariably persuaded that he will either attain greater certainty in the materials of his narrative or surpass the rudeness of antiquity in the excellence of his style. Oh. <laughs> oh. Way to get off to a clunky beginning, well, Mr. Stylist. Yeah, but you know what, though? I, I, I take his point, okay? Uh, the idea that, like I've been saying, for, for Livy, it certainly is partly about style, mm-hmm. okay? Uh and it can be about just sort of revamping, <laughs> revamping the old couch, putting on, <laughs> putting on new material. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's upholster this history. Yeah, but certainly he does say that his um, priority is the truth. But the truth according to, again, our standards of the truth, slightly different to perhaps his standards of the truth. For example, he might be looking for a greater moral or political truth mm. rather than 
getting things exactly right with like dates and stuff yeah yeah Yeah. well i think the truth truth is an interesting question anyway i'm not sure what my definition of truth is Mm. as a historian anyway yeah well probably why i find history so confounding as a subject that's a a very deep question to get into which we probably have to leave to another day but certainly go home and have an existential crisis (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) certainly people have said you know livy's crap because he repeats the story like repeats the same story more than once, you know, at different points in his history, and he can't get these simple facts right. So why should we trust him? Okay. It's not about the factual detail, is mm. it, though? Yeah. It's about what is beyond, above and beyond, what we can take away from these narratives. Yeah. And if different sources that he's relying on are telling them in different ways, then perhaps there are multiple lessons to be drawn. Ah, now, I'm so glad you said that, because another quote which I'm going to throw at you, which I think is perhaps the key to all of this, okay? The subjects to which I, Livy, not Dr. Advin, (laughs) would ask each of my readers to devote his earnest attention are these, the life and morals of the community, the men and the qualities by which through domestic policy and foreign war dominion was won and extended. Then, as the standard of morality gradually lowers, let him follow the decay of the national character, observing how at first it slowly sinks, then slips downward more and more rapidly, and finally begins to plunge into headlong ruin <laughs> until he reaches these days in which we can neither bear to Caesar's nor their remedies. <laughs> Wow. Oh my god! I if if, if so emotional, right? <laughs> if that is not a comment on the lead up to the Augustan period, I don't know what is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that that's that's just it. Like the period that um, that Livy and Dionysius have been growing up in is one that's you know tumultuous, full of civil war. Um, you know, when Livy presumably starts writing, like with Dionysius, things have only just recently calmed down. And it's not even certain when they start writing that it's going to stay that way. Nobody's sure about the calmness factor. Exactly. So the the idea that Livy would just jump on into bed (laughs) with Augustus and be like, hey, let's be friends, (laughs) is, you know, the same would go for Dionysius, I think. It's only as time passes that this will become clearer, that, you know, a, a sort of a lasting peace has been established, but at what cost? That's my taciturn aside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's kind of like that. And certainly the one thing that Livy and Augustus have in common, I think, is this concern about the level of uh, Roman morality at that point in time. Now, we've talked many times about Augustus's moral legislation. Oh, yes. I know, um, you, I know you know all about that. But, yeah. but <laughs> don't let me stop you, because that, that's yeah. one of my favorite topics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've talked before, I think, in fact, in our very first episode, about the fact that once Augustus had got some other stuff sorted, which was perhaps a little <laughs> bit more pressing, he looked around violence, him. Violence, violence. Yeah, violence, violence. Yeah. Apparently, he looked around him and went, well, I have this cushy new job <laughs> with all these titles. My name's now Augustus. None of you are behaving appropriately. No, there, there does seem to have been a real concern for him at least, to kind of hark back to this time when Roman values were more lofty, when Romans were more pure, when they were more disciplined, when they weren't descending into this luxurious lifestyle, like, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, the characteristic, the Roman farmer, yes. the man who works the land and is yeah. busy doing so and satisfied with that yeah. land package. Yeah, and certainly the moral, moral legislation... 
is outlining things like who can marry who to try and stop, you know, senators from running off with prostitutes and vice versa. <laughs> and it's also encouraging childbirth, uh, as in legitimate childbirth, yeah, as in a woman should be... Women yeah. gaining certain benefits yeah, uh, as a result of bearing a certain number of legitimate children. Exactly. Mm. Uh, and, all, and, you know, and, and uh, legislation about adultery. Okay, being much harsher in penalties towards people, uh, particularly women, but men too. But doesn't that yeah. just make it more enticing? Oh, I, you know, I love it. <laughs> Ashley Madison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in spite of all this, Augusta seems to be trying to redress something and to sort of hark back to a time when Rome was great again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have yeah. this this sense of this idealised, yeah. better version of Rome, yeah. which Augustus becomes hugely invested in. Um, bringing about yeah. into the modern times. Absolutely. And it seems to be the idea that Rome became great because of these sorts of values, because of the discipline, okay, because of the self-control, because of this ability to sort of, you know, do what is, uh, do what is right by the state above all else. Mm. Now, <clears throat> this is where I, my focus comes to today, Dr. G. Ooh. Uh, I found a rather fascinating study by one chaplain, not Charlie, for those of you who are curious, <laughs> um, talking about Livy's use of exemplar, mm. of basically working into his narrative stories which hold up, you know, how you should be living your life or how you should not be living your life. Now, it's a, it's a very complex topic, which to be honest, we don't really have time to go into, but it's basically either drawing on this idea of the past and the present, Okay, so how people lived in the past and how that's going to relate to the present. Is that an example of how, how you should be behaving, you know, a commentary on the present Should time? you do this or should yeah, you not exactly. do this? Uh, or, the, or, of course, the present and the future. The idea of, you know, how are we going to maintain this vast empire which we've won for ourselves? <laughs> and you know, How indeed. Yeah, exactly. What's going to be good for the Roman state? All those kinds of questions. It, it, it plays with that sort of time frame. And so this is where we come back to that idea is, you know, can we always criticise Livy when his goal is clearly a, perhaps a bigger moral truth? You know, about you know some sort of commentary, perhaps for his own time. Wow! Or it could be commentary on what's going on in I that guess period. The question then is, what yeah. is his foundations for his moral outlook? Because yes. is it coming from something within? Is it something that he feels is like an expression of his own moral compass, and that he's trying to sort of validate through this well, see, history. This is the thing. It's it's very rare for Livy oh sorry, it's not very rare. When it, when we look at these instances of exemplar, it's not all that common for Livy to explicitly say to the reader, Now listen up, boys and girls. <laughs> Leaning closer, I've got an exemplar <laughs> for this you. This is a very wicked woman we're about to talk about. <laughs> yeah, it's not like that. Mm. It can be like that, but it's not often like that. Okay? It can actually be more or less like someone in the period that he's talking about, and let's face it, we've got a vast amount of periods to talk about here because he covers a lot of ground. But whatever period he's talking about, it could be that person addressing the audience of that time. Now, this is where we, we again, can read into it. Is that because Livy thinks that that message has some bearing on his own generation? Or is he actually just showing that there is a tradition of relying on tradition? The custom <laughs> of the ancestors. Who knows? <laughs> Ah, yeah. well, can't it just be both? Exactly. It can be both. Exactly. <laughs> and certainly he, he does also include instances where people of the past read things in different ways, you know, um, so that not everyone reads into, okay, so-and-so's life story, the moral is this. 
people take different things of it. Uh, and I think sometimes Livy's showing that you can take different things from these lives um, and, and from these events, not just lives. Um, but certainly we have talked about a few notable examples. Uh, Lucretia being a favourite of both of ours, I know. Oh, uh, yes. Yes, yeah. Yes. Um, being a really... And what is the example to be drawn well, away from that? I'm I not entirely <laughs> sure, but certainly I think... This is a highly controversial example to start okay, with. Okay, sorry, yeah. Oh, but, no, no. <laughs> by all means. Personally, <laughs> I think that there's definitely... She's definitely being held up as an example. She sets the bar yeah. very high, nay, impossibly, for any other Roman woman who for follows after sure. her. And this is the thing, like, we... When we come to like looking at Libby's sources and that sort of thing, we certainly we can't always we can't really cross check who he's using because generally he's not he, telling us. Well, no, even when he does tell us, though, they don't. They, no they don't. They know exist, yeah. and perhaps this shows that Livy was sufficient to replace him. Nah, just saying. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me while I just you don't know. You don't corner. know. You don't know me. You don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be demonstrated one way or the other. No, That's it can't. outrageous claim. No, 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 it can't be demonstrated one way or the other. But equally, we cannot say that Livy is being inaccurate or inventing things. Because we can't check. Yeah, but it's a circle. <laughs> Don't you see? We can't be super critical. In, sorry, we can be super critical, but we can't go too far because it's all hypothetical. Uh, and I yes. say that in a rhythmic way. Because <laughs> getting worked up. Yeah, but anyway... Nonetheless, I definitely think that, um, you know, Lucretia is one that we can certainly compare his account to, say, Dionysius, as we did. Oh, yeah. 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 Indeed. Uh, and I think that... Uh, she serves as an impossible example in both of yeah, those narratives, totally as has. it turns out. Yeah. And so, certainly, it's, it's, it raises interesting questions about the kind of stories that have been passed down through, you know, through Roman history and the kind of stories that they choose to repeat. Um, and they choose to use as example of potentially for future generations. Uh, Lucretia, for those of you well, who have just cre- uh, tuned in, you- I've realised <laughs> I should explain who she is. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, I, I know. I feel like it goes without saying because we talk about her a lot. But uh, yes, Lucretia is the lovely young lady who, in Livy's account of things, wins a contest of whose wife is the most virtuous, <laughs> and then, uh, unfortunately for her incites the uh, passion of one of the king of Rome wait no king of Rome's sons yeah yeah that was Sextus Tarquinius yeah he becomes enamoured of her charms <laughs> decides he needs to have that tap that <laughs> uh, does so through rather hideous means uh, basically coming to her house under false pretenses waiting till everyone's asleep threatening her with violence at sword point in the middle of the night and then when she still refuses just uh, says he's going to lie about it. Yeah, basically says, well, that's all well and good, but I'm just going to have my way with you, kill you, then kill a male slave and make it look like I was actually doing a good thing here by putting an end to your adulterous ways. Lucretia gives in. Afterwards, she summons her male kinfolk and one Brutus to her side. They bear witness to what has happened. She says, avenge me, O brethren, <laughs> and dies. Uh, well, by killing stabs herself. herself. Stabs herself, yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. Takes and, her own life. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this could certainly, I mean, be drawing on the whole idea of, you know, who the king of Rome was at the time. The idea of him being sort of a tyrant. The idea of, you know, 
uh, innocent women being you know raped and violated and and dying under you know tyrannical it's rule. A, well, it's a very particular story yeah. of of male violence, and it's also a very particular story of the victim taking the blame upon themselves yeah. for the crime that is being committed against them. Yes. Uh, and certainly there are other examples that we could talk about, like, I mean, we talked about Brutus before. Oh, yes. Ah, uh, Brutus, yes. Who, <laughs> the idiot who comes good. <laughs> <laughs> he was just pretending to be stupid. Exactly, yeah. Um, the idea of um, the self-sacrifice of Brutus, the fact that, you know, he stands there stoically when he discovers that his sons have... Uh, Betrayed, oh, betrayed him. Yeah, yeah betrayed the, the new the new regime. <laughs> uh, oh. Yeah, when uh in during that period where there's a switchover from, you know, the monarchy to the republic and his sons seemingly throw their hat in the ring for a monarchy. And Brutus basically you know, just stands there and watches as they are tried and executed. And yes. you know, that's that's just the way things are supposed to be. The yeah, discipline. So the... The, yeah, there is a real narrative around violence mm. um, that Rome is particularly invested in. Yeah. And it seems pretty clear that that violence cuts men and women, mm. um, literally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it goes for everybody at certain points. Yeah. Um, some types of violence are considered particularly nefarious mm. violence against women seems to be pretty bad but that doesn't mean particularly that they don't particularly chaste ones <laughs> yeah that doesn't mean that they don't engage in it they clearly do yeah and and the repercussions for that are not ever particularly clear mm. um in terms of of women's violence against women being redressed so you have a sense in which like lucretia takes the victim position for herself yeah. and you've got like the case of the sabine women where they become so enamored of their captors yes. that they begin to bodily. defend them. Yeah, and they bodily intervene, you know, according yeah. to some accounts. Then, yeah. They don't want to be taken back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so they throw themselves into the melee. Mm. Um, and, and I suppose the reason why I always think of Lucretia and, and those stories about women um, being particularly interesting in Livy is because, you know, Augustus himself eventually <laughs> prides himself on having, like, you know, this squeaky clean private life. Um, you know, oh, that old thing. Yeah, well, we're much like, you know, Lucretia is apparently, you know, in Livy's account, um, you know, they, these guys who are basically playing the game of who's got the best wife, um, they go from house to house and see, you know, wife after wife having parties and, you know, hanging out with friends and, you know, getting out to no good, drinking wine. Ooh, yes, that's, that's adulterous. Dangerous. Yeah, that's, that's bad. Uh, and then when they finally get to Lucretia, she's sitting there, you know, you know with her maids, you know, sewing you know, working wool, which is, you know, what you're supposed to be doing as a virtuous woman. And that's what, you know, one of the things that Augustus sort of boasts about, the fact that, you know, he can wear clothes, you know, made by his women folk. <laughs> Bullshit! <laughs> Livia made this yeah. logo. Yeah, exactly. Um, so certainly I think you this can This is see... making Livy sound like he might be a historian uh, that is part of this literary regime. <laughs> I, I'm, not deny- I say, I'm not denying that they cer- certainly seem to share a concern about morality. Hmm. Um, and, and certainly they both seem to be looking back to a much earlier time to sort of recapture something which has apparently been lost. Uh, and certainly Livy sort of pin- seems to be one of those people who sort of pinpoints the t- you know that decline from... You know the the final conquering of Carthage and Corinth, and you know in um in one forty six, I'm gonna think, <laughs> I'm thinking, uh, around then, uh, and certainly seeing that as being the time when Romans start to sort of sit back and go, well, we got this in the bag, 
the world is ours. John and Dustin. Yeah, we can relax. And, you know, and, you know, this is being the time when, you know, more luxury comes into play. And, you know, those uh, old values um, of, the, of the private realm start to fall apart as well. Uh, to the point where, you know, but again, it's, it seems bizarre when you think about Augustus meeting Livia when she's like nine months pregnant and <laughs> marrying her. Well, but, but everybody likes to comment. Story, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Seducing. Yeah, and of course, way. we cannot be sure what effect either Augustus's moral, legisla- moral legislation or Livy's <laughs> exemplars really mm. had on the time. The fact that Augustus comes out with these initial laws in, you know, sort of 1817 BC and then has to keep having these little extra (laughs) installments added on later all throughout his reign would seem to suggest that they're not super effective. The legislation is not going as well as he had planned. Yeah. Um, But certainly, um, certainly Livy as a historian can say that he has, um, you know, lived up to well, in his own eyes, presumably, lived up to his ideas of, you know, serving a useful and a moral purpose with his work. Mm. Whether people pay attention or not is another <laughs> ball of wax. Well, I, yeah. I, I think the evidence that they were paying some attention at the very least yes. is... Yes, certainly he's read is and he was there, popular. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what messages people are taking away are their own, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that use of exemplar sort of stems back to the idea, like, you know, as I was talking about before, the fact that Livy certainly had some sort of rhetorical education because the use of exemplar was one of the things that was encouraged inner rhetorical education in Rome. You know, it's the idea that you could give a speech and sort of hark back to previous examples because that's what the Romans like to do. There. <laughs> Build up those layers of tradition. Exactly. Moss now. <laughs> sounds sinister. Well, <laughs> it sounds like I have a much better understanding of Livy now <laughs> yeah. than I did before. Yes, well, thank you for humouring my defence of Livy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, I'll, I'll finish uh Yes, please do. Let's let's return to a quote. Ah, yes, let's do. Let's do. Uh, No, I I was just going to say out loud the one I said before. (laughs) The critical one. (laughs) Yeah, look, there's no denying... Just so we're on the same page. Yeah. um, Dionysius, Mm. more faithful to his sources than Livy. (laughs) Dionysius, the authentic historian of the Augustan age. (laughs) As as much as I feel like, you know, you've, you've tried to redeem Livy where you can... It's clear that he's very, like, steeped in the Roman Latin traditions of the exemplar and the annals and the not doing any research. Hey, 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 hey. (laughs) We know that he did do some research. Like, he did go to to some places as long as they weren't too far away. You know, I do that. I say to myself, I'm going to go there if it's on my way to there. Understandable. (laughs) (laughs) So he's a pragmatic historian. Yeah, look, I think there's no denying that Livy made mistakes. There's no denying that he embellished things. However, I would argue that many people who were writing history at this point in time embellished things, and many people would have made mistakes because of the nature of writing history in this day and age. Yeah, well, the focus was more on broad understandings of types of truths than they were on things like factual accuracy yeah and i think that's pretty clear for all of the historiography that we're looking at coming out of yeah it's a different it's a different history for a different time it's a very different history and it's a very different time yeah they did not have the internet no we need to keep that (laughs) in mind that's really what sums it up isn't it i think so (laughs) and that is my takeaway the lack of the internet (laughs) living dynasties didn't stand a chance they actually had to travel places to do their research i swear to you i do all of my research in my house (laughs) (laughs) All of it. Yeah, me too. All right then. Well, 
We hope that that has uh, given you an, an introduction. I mean, certainly these are historians that because of the, the vast uh, work that they produce, we could certainly never hope to sum them both up in one podcast each. No. But we hope that we've given you... We haven't plumbed the full depths of no, their of No, their and I'm sure that we will return to their historiographical issues <laughs> momentarily uh, throughout later episodes. But we hope that we've given you a bit of an introduction to these historians and you perhaps have a bit of a, uh, a better understanding about who it is that we're drawing from because, quite frankly, we can't draw from any other sources for this period. At this point in time, yeah. there's not a lot of options. No, and then this is exactly my point. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take what I can get. All right. Wow. Yeah. Cheers to living. Cheers to that. Yeah.